Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the US what changes can we make and how we use water i just listened to a fantastic episode called water in peace hydropolitics it was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water we've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Today, uh, former marine biologist turned comedian Forrest Shaw joins me. How you doing, Forrest? I'm good. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> we, we met having a game night at, at my new place yeah. in Culver City. And... Uh, and I found out that uh, we were talking about my podcast with somebody, and then, and then uh, a few people were like, "Forrest used to be a marine biologist," and I was like, "Well, let's talk about that." Yeah. So um, first off, because when did you start comedy? Uh, you were you were a full grown adult and everything. Yeah, yeah, right? ten years ago. So ten years ago. Yeah, two thousand five. Okay, so before that time, you'd been a marine biologist. Yeah, so I started comedy when I was 32. Okay. So I'm 42 now. It's the best time to get into it in your 40s, especially <laughs> in L.A. That's what they're looking for. Um, but, yeah, so... And were you still, were you still a biologist for the, the beginning yeah, for part a portion, of that? Yeah, for the first... I, I've been a full-time comic for about five years. Oh, nice. So there was a five-year, five to six-year overlap there, some about that. Let's just say that if I'm not getting the years right, because it's almost 2016. Yeah, okay. So five to six-year overlap, where obviously I'm not going to quit this career that I had when, you know, two years in the comedy and when I stunk. Right. But, uh, I, you know, and I did some, I had varying jobs at the beginning when I got out of college uh, that dealt with, I was an environmental educator. Mostly, my degree was from Ithaca College, environmental science. That's mm-hmm. what I have. I only have a bachelor's. I don't have a master's or a doctorate. I could have probably gotten back and got that, but it got to the point where 
as I'll talk about like where in my job where I was just I kept getting promoted. And <laughs> so it's like, why am I going to, I yeah, guess for the hiring. love of knowledge is why you go back. But, uh, so when I first got out of college, I got a couple of jobs as an environmental educator for the national Audubon society, which basically meant I dressed up in like a fake ranger outfit and <laughs> took kids on field trips. I don't know if you ever had those kind of wherever people grew up, if you went on these, you know, natural field trip, you know? Oh, so. yeah, yeah. I, I had uh, Hickson Forest in, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Yeah. And, and there's, like, there's nothing really all that interesting there either, and so they really had to try yeah. and make it, <laughs> like, somewhat interesting, like explaining how cool robins are or something. Yeah, like, for 20 minutes. boring creatures. It's basically so that your teachers get a break that day, so they can hang in the back of the line, <laughs> and they let this person struggle with you know, middle schoolers. That was me. So, and I, um, this all took place in South Florida. I'm from Miami, Florida. So. And, and having to tell like middle schoolers about recycling. Ah, stuff now, is exactly what they want to hear. Well, about. I would do a lot of trips to the Everglades because oh, okay. I'm, I'm from Miami, Florida. And then, right. you know, so that was a big, that's you know, the big ecosystem there. And, um, I'd be talking about the aquifer and fresh water and, and I'd, you know, trying to dumb it down for middle schoolers, but also trying to keep it. So there's some knowledge in there from the get and talking about how, okay, well, you know, we, we need to make sure we're conserving water, even though it seems like there's a lot of water here, our water goes, you know, into this underground aquifer system and there's, pre- and then, you know, a kid with some kid, some snot nose, kid <laughs> just like, why do I don't care? Like, why do we have to care? But, and then you're, then you're literally having a conversation with a 12 year old trying to convince them that they should care about, uh, saltwater intrusion or something that they're it's the word and then the, and the teachers are just in the back like talking like yeah anyway they don't they don't give a shit and um and so i did that for a while and then by the end of the day the the, the fun the, the thing that was the most fun for the kids then was the la- end of that the everglades trip there was a couple different field trips we take them on but the end of that one there was like this area called the Enhinga Trail, where uh, during the winter when the water levels were low in the Everglades, all the alligators would gather there and all the birds. And so it was all these wildlife and stuff. And they'd be into that. But then, of course, they'd lose interest about 15 minutes in. And they would just go to the snack machines, which you would tell them not to do. They had snack machines set up there. And they'd just buy snacks and feed animals, which they weren't supposed to do. Uh, all the animals, just throwing food at animals, like in this <laughs> national park. To the point when we got back on the bus, literally, I'm not making this up, there would be these uh, ravens there uh, and um, that would have skittles in their beak. It looked really cool. All these, if, you've ever, if, if you want to see an entirely black bird with just different colored skittles in its beak still holding on to them and trying to eat them and also pecking at the bus, you'd have like five or six ravens in this sugar rush frantically <laughs> pecking the bus. It was like almost like a, a mild version of the birds, you know? Yeah. Uh, for, and so all these kids, when they'd still be throwing, it was the worst. It's, the kids are the worst. That's, you know, uh, if you, I, maybe, I mean, if you have kids, I'm sorry. but No, they're uh, the worst. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so that was a terrible job. That was it, like right out of it's college. Hard, it's hard to get most scientists yeah. to ad- admit that kids are the worst, but yeah. you're a comedian now, so you're, sure, yeah, you're able to. I, I hate that's that what job. That's what I like about, like, uh, you, you become a comedian, and then you get to, like, shit on all everything yeah. in, in your old life that was, like, society said was important or whatever, yeah. and then... And then people are in the audience and they're like, oh, man, I wish I could. I wish I could <laughs> say that about my shitty yeah. job or, you know, whatever. And I used to go on those field trips when I was younger. 
Yeah. I remember. And then I, I sort of felt bad as I was doing that job. Like, oh, I, I acted the same way. I was, I was, you know, your hormones are raging. You're out. The girl that you, you don't know what you want to do with a girl, but the girl's there and you know you want to do something with her. <laughs> yeah. So it was like just, you're like walking through a hammock. Like, anyways, this is a gumbo limbo. And they're like just yelling and trying to, I don't know. So. It wasn't. I I, I like job. to imagine like the the twelve year old boy that has like all these girls chasing after him, and he's like, "No, no, girls, I gotta <laughs> hear about salt water." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're in a national park. This is not the time or the place <laughs> for horseplay. Um. So how long did you do that? Not long. Maybe like six, seven months. Long mm-hmm. enough. I mean, it was. You know, when I first got the job, you're like, oh, I'm happy to have a job. The pay wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after the second or third one of those, you're just like, oh, Christ. I don't I understand gotta... anyone that yeah. works with kids of that age. Like, I just don't understand yeah. it because, is it, like, I get why you'd want to be, like, a kindergarten teacher or something yeah. like that. Is it, I mean, sure. Simple, it's yeah. It's still pain sometimes. It's naps. They're, they're asleep naps, half the day. It's adorable. Yeah. There's nothing adorable about a bunch of twelve-year-olds. The worst, yeah. <laughs> so that so was six months. I, I, six, seven months, very short period of time, you know. And um, and then I and then I worked briefly after that at a at a marine mammal facility, um, doing environmental education there as well. It was mostly adults because people would come in there. There was there was some therapy there done with dolphins with uh with. You know, in water therapy sessions mm-hmm. done with kids that were severely autistic or had cerebral palsy, it, whatever it could be anything, you know, different disabilities. So there was a whole program for that. And then they also had a rescue program for some marine mammals, like some sea lions and uh, other like uh, pilot whales. Things like and then they also had a swim program there, too, where people could come in and kind of it wasn't structured necessarily. Like you would just go in the water and if they liked you, they come near you and if they didn't. Hmm. they'd tell you to fuck off. So um, so I had to give lectures there, too, basically. So that was the, my first year outside of college was basically lecturing to people that didn't care because it was either it was either junior high school kids or it was adults that were just like, when are we getting in the water? I was like, all right, I need to talk to you for an hour about dolphins before you get in the Because that was part of the deal was we're and, not going to just And you're you like, the, what, 21 or 22 or whatever? A little bit older because I, I, there was a year off. I'm probably like 23 yeah, yeah, 22, 23, around there. Yeah, I'd have to look it, somewhere. So around. no adult respects you, and and then no. because you're not old enough yet, and then no yeah. kid respects you because they're kids. And, and, they and don't the adults don't. Anybody. The adults that I was, because I wasn't working in that therapy program. I wasn't a therapist. Right? Mm-hmm. I was working in the part, portion where they used to make the money at the facility to do those other programs, you know, and um, and uh, and there was, a, there was a big there was a big contingent of tourists that would come in there and want to swim with a dolphin, you know. And they don't care about your, they don't care about, you know, how they echolocate and, you know, you're talking about like their physio. It's just, it, we wanted to talk to them a little bit before you put them in there with a giant animal that one could hurt them <laughs> if they, right. it wouldn't do it att- intentionally, but it would, uh, you know, if you tried, if you tried to come near a dolphin's eye or something, it's not what, anyways, not, not, I like that job a lot actually, because, you know, I, it was still great. Like when I wasn't, when I wasn't, on my downtime, I would get to jump in the water and swim with dolphins. I fed the sea lions there, so I'd go in and I'd fix their their pens and things like that. Like it was in a natural environment. It's it's so it was in a it was in the Florida Keys, and it was in 
it wasn't a tank or anything. It was just a portion on the side of like just an, an inlet to the ocean. Mm-hmm. So there was tidal, it was tides, there was animals, there was all natural things growing in there. But there still was a barrier, not to really keep them there, because even if they would get out, the dolphins, they would just kind of swim around and hang out there. They weren't, they were born in captivity. They weren't interested in going out into this scary giant ocean. Yeah. It was more because the F, the, um, was it the FDA? Yeah, it was someone weird that like, yeah, the USDA, I think is who, who would monitor the animal program, which doesn't make sense. It was something like that where you're like, why would they, why would that government organization? Anyways, you had to keep them inside for people's safety and something like that. So I enjoyed that job a lot. I knew that the family that, that owns the facility and still exists today, like we're friends with them. And so I liked the job, but it wasn't like where I was going to do forever. You know, I wanted to get a job in my field, even though that was science related, you know, it still wasn't, and I wasn't doing research or doing any sort of monitoring of communities, which I later did on. Uh, so then I got a job with Miami-Dade County it's Department of Environmental Resources Management, which we would shorten an acronym into DERM. <laughs> Easier to say DERM. Right. That whole, and uh, so it's county government, Miami-Dade County, and I worked there for almost 13 years and as a biologist, a marine biologist. All right. So what did you do? You did a lot of manatee research? Uh, yeah, I, I came in there at first. My One of my internships when I was in college – was with uh, Dr. James Forkren in South Florida. He worked uh, at Florida International University, and there was a program uh, called SERP, which is Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Program. So there was there's an effort still ongoing, and it started many years ago where they we the Florida Everglades was having is having issues because it's been so altered from what originally was that it was affecting everything from Orlando south. Every every ecosystem that exists there was being affected because before anyone came to Florida, if you've ever been to Florida before, do you want to give background on this? How to, I don't know. Where yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you've ever been to Florida before, everything south of Orlando where like there's Lake Okeechobee, which is the giant, if you look at it on a map, there's a giant lake right in the middle of it, circle. It's Lake Okeechobee. Not a very deep lake, even when it's a, when there's a, during the wet season and, the, the water levels are higher. It's not very deep, but what that lake does is it distributes water to everything south and southwest and southeast of it. So really, technically, everything south of Lake Okeechobee is is like a is a wetland. Mm. You know, it's uh, historically, except for the very very edges of Florida, on the west coast where you've got like Naples, Fort Myers, down all those barrier islands, and then on the east coast, Miami, Palm Beach, Fort Lauderdale. All the where Miami beaches, South Beach, where I'm sure people have been before, all those barrier islands existed. And then inland, there was like pi- raised pineland areas that maybe went in, I don't know, let's say a mile inland. And mm-hmm. then after that, everything else is a wetland. Swamp, if you want to call it, but it's more of like a, a wetland is a better characteristic. The Everglades, huge. And what happened years and years ago was, you know, people came there and started wanting to develop areas for agriculture and, and people want to live there too because it's beautiful and, you know, warm. Right. Um, and so there was a lot of programs to re-divert this water to be able to use for agriculture and also drain wetlands so we could build houses there and also build fields to grow crops and things like that. And so if, um, if they, there's, there's imagery, ah, I got to find where that is, but there's, there's imagery you can look at where they, you know, what it originally looked at and what it is now. And basically if, 
from Lake Okeechobee, you'll see all these canals, basically just man-made canals coming off Lake Okeechobee, re-diverting the water instead of it going into the Everglades, shooting it out to the Gulf of Mexico and to the Atlantic Ocean. So less fresh water was going into the Everglades. And then there was highways built across the Everglades in the south by Miami that had little pipes underneath the highways instead of the original sheet flow of water that was coming down. And basically all the Everglades was a very, it's a very fragile system that relied on, you know, a flow, a very, very, very slow flow of fresh water that would make its way gradually to the coasts of Florida, but also to the bottom of Florida where is Florida Bay. And that's where the Florida Keys wraps around mm-hmm. and ties in. And, uh, and that's where the estuaries are, where all the, you know, fish and, you know, uh, shrimp, crab, everything is kind of, is that that's where everything was. It begins its life cycle. And then the coral reefs are below that. It's a whole if you if you want to go from Lake Okeechobee Everglades down to the coral reefs of the key of the Keys, like anything, it's all, you know, anything in nature, it's all tied in in this very elaborate but very fragile right. system yeah that- i like to imagine that like uh, w- once once uh humans go extinct because yeah. of our many vices yeah uh, there'll still be like uh, you know all of all the stored data and everything somewhere yeah. so eventually aliens or another civilization that evolves or whatever will unearth this stuff and we have like all this amazing footage from like planet earth or life or whatever uh-huh. Uh, you know those those many documentaries that they'll see they like wow they had all of this yeah what possibly went wrong and then and then they'll see that we we took all of this and we're like we needed strip malls there yeah i'm sure it'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll figure it out later what's the worst thing that that's always worked in the past right so um by the way I, i i have said at the beginning that i haven't i have not done any biologizing which is not a real word, but I like to use, uh, you know, in over half a decade. So, right, right. So, I don't want anyone to like write into me like, what he said, or the, I'm, I know what I'm talking about here. If I get one word right or I'm trying to reach for things, just give me a break. I've just been telling dick jokes for the last, like, <laughs> <laughs> so. I know. Uh, my listeners aren't okay, the type good. that are going um, to So, the basic, the basic thing to know, though, with South Florida is freshwater flew, uh, flowed in a certain way for everything to be stable and healthy and we re-diverted it Hmm. in basically in canal systems and we took not only did we re-divert the water and and channelize it but we shot it out into areas where it wasn't supposed to be going so we altered everything in south florida and the u.s army corps of engineers was pretty much the main organization that was in charge of doing that back in the day uh with the help of some people like um if you've ever been to fort lauderdale florida it's it's broward county is the name of it I don't think that I have actually. Well, everybody's heard of it, Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, the the county is is Broward, and it's named after an old governor of Florida. His name's Napoleon Bonaparte Broward. So good name. Um, and he <laughs> he he was there was a lot of pressure from there was some floodings and whatever year he was governor, and there was like a lot of cattle drowned and agriculture fields and stuff, and there was a lot of pressure put on him to be like, hey, you got we got to we got to deal with this. Lake Okeechobee keeps overflowing and that. And so they, they put these huge levees up on the side. If you drive by Lake Okeechobee now, it's, there's no mountains in Florida, but if you drive by Lake Okeechobee, there's these huge levees going up. It looks mm. like almost like a crater of a, of a asteroid or something around the whole lake. That's to prevent from flooding. And then right south of that is all the sugarcane fields. All the sh- 
probably sugar that you're eating and whatever foods you're eating or sugar you're putting in your coffee, a lot of it or the large majority of it comes from South Florida in that area. So there's all that lobbyist. And that's a huge think about how big the sugar lobbyists are, like how powerful they are and stuff. So, so, <laughs> so it is funny to think about how powerful yeah. the sugar people it doesn't are. seem like they are, but they are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I saw I watched big this documentary sugar. called Fed Up and it was all about sugar and yeah, foods. Yeah. Have you, have you ever realized, like, when you look at the nutritional data on the back of a food, you know, it says, oh, total fat, saturated fat, sodium, and it has the percentage of your daily allowance? Yeah. There's never a percentage next to sugar. That's because <laughs> the sugar lobbyist won't allow that because it would blow your mind. Right. If you had a can of Coke and it has whatever, 24 grams of sugar, it would be like 85% of, of your. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just almost to your. I think you're. I think 32 grams is what they is the max that they recommend per day for sugar, yeah. which is like you get that in your breakfast. Right. Sometimes you don't watch what you're eating, you know? Hmm. So that's, that's like goes back to the eighties where they, the sugar lobbyists were like, no, 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 we're not. We can't put that on there. This, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I never thought about that. I watched a movie. I'm like, yeah, there is no percentage next to the sugar. Why is it? You know, you just kind yeah. of accept it that that's yeah. how it is. Yeah, yeah. Probably on that bottle right there. That, yeah. That's, there's nothing. And so it says the grams, but mm. who knows? You don't think about that. You're like, oh, the average person doesn't. So flash forward to now, um, there's all sorts of problems. Uh, coral reefs are starting to die off. There's algal blooms on them that are choking them out. Uh, there's all sorts of di uh, seagrass die-offs in Florida Bay and in Biscayne Bay, which is in South Florida and the southern tip of Florida. Um, and uh, I mean, Florida is one of the <clears throat> few places with coral reefs still, in America. Right? Yeah. I mean, in it, America, aren't they the only place in, in the United spot? States? Yeah. The, in, because we're at the very southern end. I mean, the very northern end of uh, of where coral reefs can exist because coral reefs have there's a there's a balance of temperature of the water, mm. clarity, of, the clarity of the water uh, that has to occur that can't occur anywhere else. I mean, you go up f further than that, it gets colder. And it's too cold even here, uh, you know, in California. And then also the clarity of the water is very yeah, uh, so clear in yeah. Florida. Well, because you need light to penetrate there. There's there's uh, and when you have the seagrass die-offs too that we're talking about, that causes the that they bind the sediments to the bottom of of the bay. So when you have the seagrass die off from the water being rechannelized from the Everglades and then that's dying off, then the sediments start to become suspended in the water column and they flush down towards the coral reefs. So now the water clarity is an issue. Temperature is an issue. Everything's all related, as we know. We know now, but, you know, we're kind of screwed on everything. So, um, But years ago, I, I can't remember that, but, I mean, over a decade, maybe two decades ago. Uh, what year is it? Yeah, that sounds about right. But there's... It was the largest uh, restoration prog uh, program ever initiated by the federal government to restore the Everglades close to what its historical flow used to be. And not only would this help, you know, because this was affecting, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, well, this is affecting the Everglades or, or the coral reefs or, the, you know, just as an aesthetic or as a, as a, a responsibility that we have to restore it to it, what it naturally is supposed to be. But it's also there's a financial issue there. We're talking about fisheries, uh, you know, the fishing industry, the, you know, stone crab, lobster industry, the tourism industry for people that come down there for coral reefs. But also there is a lot of uh, uh, drinking water issues in South Florida, too, because mm. all of the fresh water, all of the fresh water in Miami and Broward County, which is, you know, the, the two Miami-Dade County and Broward County, which is 
I don't know, I want to say maybe 4 million people, let's say, you know, um, is from underground aquifers. And that's all fresh water. That's, it's like in a, basically in a porous rock. And, uh, and that's where all the drinking water will come from. But as you redivert the surf, the surface water from the Everglades and you, and you channelize all the fresh water come out, you get the saltwater intrusion that was coming into people's wells. So people were starting to suck up salt water out of wells instead of fresh water. And, so you see where this is heading. So someone, yeah. they're, they're, and this is millions and millions of people, millions and millions of tourist dollars. I mean, and so the federal government was like, hey, this is going to be our, our pilot project to see, not pilot, but our, our, our first major project to see, can we restore, can we fix what we fucked up, basically? I mean, that's not how they worded it, but you know. So Well, I would think that, I, I, it makes me think that that's why, um, science isn't emphasized so much in our society is because if they started, yeah. uh, if everyone knew what was actually happening, yeah. it'd be like, oh, we're, we've really screwed ourselves over. And, and you sort of know, but then I, I always think that people, whether it's because in movies this happens, but also because in real life, you know, the, like right now there's a drought in California and people are aware of it. Like, I don't think there's anyone that lives in California that isn't aware that, hey, a drought's going on. Now, whether they understand really what that means is in varying degrees of what they've read or what they've decided to find out. But I think everyone, if you said, hey, you know, we're in a drought. Oh, yeah, we're in a drought. But I think most people think, oh, well, you know, someone's going to fix it. Like, it always gets fixed. Yeah. You know? And so. Well, it's funny because they're always like, oh, they'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, like, who who's they that you're talking about? They'll figure it out. You know, like, scientists and like no, those are the people saying yeah. <laughs> that that yeah. it's going to that this is a really big issue and they can't figure it out and they need more resources to and, help figure. It and out. some of those same people are the people that would probably be like climate change deniers, where they're like, oh yeah, yeah, the the same guys that I think are going to figure it out are also the guys that I'm telling to uh, screw off with your assessment of. Uh, uh, it's like it's like they only right. pick and choose what they want, you know. So I almost think, I mean, I just moved here two years ago. I want to I want to stay here for some time, and this is why you know career-wise but also i enjoy living here mm-hmm. but i also think like you know what it it would probably be a good thing if all the predictions of the drought came true just because it would kind of be you need sometimes you need these things to shock people into being like oh no we really are screwing up stuff here because people do always fix it yeah. and, and it's always and it's generally we fix it in some haphazard way or it's a band-aid and it's not really a long-term solution but i, I almost think that it you know that it's that would be a good thing, but that's like me being like the evil scientist. Like, yeah, I'm like yeah. yes, because yeah. <laughs> like you know, I always root for those evil scientists in movies. Anyways, like I don't know if you saw The Kingsman. I haven't. I it's I very good, things. but without. I mean, it's not a major spoiler thing, but the villain Samuel L. Jackson just thinks there's too many people on the planet, and so when I'm watching it, I'm like, yeah, but I'm I'm kind of on board with this guy. Like, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I get the premise of the movie is we're gonna stop him, but I'm like, I think this is guys on to something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this, that's that that sounds about right to me. But uh, I I'm just for like uh, I, I mean I I think free vasectomies for anyone that wants one sure is is. <laughs> going to solve a lot of our problems that but. and i've i've also said if you are um like the maury povich show those type of shows with those people that come in and they're just fighting each other and they don't know who the baby's mamas are and all that stuff 
those green rooms should also they should they should make them like you know, some sort of decompression chamber, but where they they somehow sterilize them where they don't know why they're waiting to be on the show. That was like in the fine print of thing. Like, oh, you want to come on the show? Yeah, we'll give you. We'll fly you out here, put you up in a hotel, and uh, also you got to hang on the green. We got to get her two hours for the show. All right, you're because it takes an hour to sterilize them somehow and. Some sort of something needs to invent that, whatever that the sterilization chamber. Right. Yeah, cause that would really help out. That's like that's like spaying and neutering uh, wild cats and dogs. You know, yeah. that's the same yeah. thing. So, yeah, that I'm sure that would fly legislation for that. So I I know <laughs> that that's the thing is just like any. I mean that that's kind of why you're right is is that it would it will take like huge disasters. Sure. Before anyone's gonna be like. Oh, okay. I guess that yeah. that really is a thing. I mean, even um, us who, uh, you know, we uh, on an intellectual level we understand all of this stuff. But I'm, you know, uh, drinking bottled water. I'm terrible. Like, like I'm, I'm the worst. I don't, I don't. I'm not doing any. Oh, uh, the one thing I'm doing is not having children. Yeah, which is enormous. That's big. That, yeah. It's really big. But the end on the, an individual, yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm not doing anything great. At the end of the day, ninety nine point nine nine percent of people are still wiping their ass with trees. So, oh yeah, that's but, like <laughs> as as, and, as conservative and, and as you want to be. Away <laughs> with like three and then gallons flushing it away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. We just... really, we really hate trees. But uh, <laughs> um, I I want uh, I, I I want cashmere and toilet paper. That's what I'm. Uh, if but I, that's if what I, if I hit it big. I, that show Extreme Cheapskates. You ever watch that show? I don't know if it's still on. No, I think it's on. It's I'm sure it's on one of those Netflix, Hulu, whatever. Uh, it's called Extreme Cheapskates, and it was just these people that are – they're really just conserving well, but it's like the way they shot the show was to be like, look at this jerk off. I mean, it is very extreme what they were doing, like some of the stuff. But there was this one lady, and they lived like in a – they didn't live like – they weren't – it was a nice house, like mm-hmm. suburbs, you know? It looked like they were doing okay, but they just wanted to conserve money because it was tight, you know? So they like one of the things was they would go clip certain grasses from fields to make into a salad and whatever. No big deal. But her family, she had – children like teenagers and kids and everything was like little swaths of cloth that you had to wipe your ass with and mm-hmm. you had to throw it in this waste bu- this waste basket and she'd wash them afterwards but even the guests would so the, they had the guests coming over for dinner to eat like little grass clippings and they we got to wipe our ass with what but then at the end it's just kind of like yeah that's that's kind of probably what we should be doing. It's gross. I don't really yeah, want to yeah. do it when I think about it I'm like nah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to like uh, yeah. that 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 you need a separate washing machine. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, so. but it's. <laughs> I was looking that up because uh, I, I mean it is gonna suck when we have to like ante up and and live <laughs> live sure. like the the in a in a sustainable fashion. I mean, I think there's a lot of solutions that it's crazy. That we we wipe our ass with trees, out. though. I yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to do a bit on here, but I, I this is like something I've thought about a lot. Is like the it is just we trees. Trees are alive, and we are just we we just don't show any sympathy. We receipts, we don't need receipts anymore. Paper, uh, like yeah. like when you go to a bar and they give you a drink, they just they it's like wood bar, and then they put a a, a, a little cocktail napkin down, and it's like we just we're so it, wasteful. Even worse like, is like like junk mail. Here's yeah, a thing. I always say that, yeah. That I don't want, that yeah. nobody wants. Wait, they call and, it junk mail. Like, we, we actually call it trash. We're, like, <laughs> sending you 
trash. And like I'll I'll get it out of my mailbox and I'll like if there's recycling man I'll put it in there. If not, you're like oh, I guess I'm just throwing. Thanks for throwing me. Think about like uh, the uh, the trees that are cut down and then the oil yeah. d- delivering all of that stuff. Just to annoy people, just to annoy the public, just to fill your mailbox so you don't seem so lonely. <laughs> but the and yeah, that's gonna be that's. I a like sign that of, that would make <laughs> you feel less lonely. Well, you get, if, you if get you're like the some Sears mail. catalog, yeah. like, well, look at me, I am. Somebody's pretty thinking about popular. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's that's the first sign. That's when you know shit is going down. Is when you stop getting drunk mail, shit's going down. We're, yeah. we're still doing okay as a country like everyone's like oh we're gonna this and the guy, like it's it, when they're still sending us trap it's called junk mail like it's yeah, yeah. it's crazy the amount of paper <laughs> we waste you know and wood and everything but um we don't have to anymore like there's so many things we don't need for paper and we use it you know right but it's still old i guess that's a generational and it's thing a, it's kind of in uh, like i mean with bank statements and stuff it's like well, it's just way easier for me yeah. to get an emailed statement. Yeah, that and, and that I might generationally and, change in the next 20, 30 years because, yeah. you know, kids these days. But so <laughs> I don't even know what tangent we got. Oh, we're talking about the Everglades. Yeah, 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 we were just talking about the Everglades. Oh, so I was just giving some background on the Everglades. And basically, so the, the federal government d- decided to put all this money forth to try and restore the Everglades back to what close to what its historical natural flow was mm-hmm. in hopes of uh, making all these other systems healthier and, and that are all tied in together down there. And also pr- that people could live there and have enough fresh water to drink and use. And also the, the coral reefs would be, everything was tied in there, right? Animals, mm-hmm. everything. And um, in doing that, a lot of money was put forth towards that and it enlisted federal, state and local county organizations to be doing research and monitoring of diff- every single different system, the ecosystem down there and different um, areas of, of Everglades. And so when, when I worked for Miami-Dade County as mm-hmm. a marine biologist, this is way, this roundabout way I was getting to it for about, uh, let's say, 12, almost 13 years, uh, my, my initial entry into there was as a bio- biologist assistant was my my first then i became a biologist one and biologist two and then an environmental resources project supervisor but my my specific uh section that i worked in at derm was uh a marine systems and um thus i call myself a marine biologist because that's where all the work that i did in was mm. so i didn't get a degree in marine biology but i still worked as a marine biologist because my the the I got hired specifically because I did work monitoring seagrass with Dr. James Forkren at the Florida International University. That was my internship. So I already kind of knew the processes of what we were doing. And we would go into Florida Bay, which if you're looking at Florida, it's the very, very tip of Florida, the very bottom of it. And then the Florida Keys kind of wraps around that as islands uh, miles below that. That whole area in between there is called Florida Bay. And that's a huge system. And uh, that's where all the fresh water suppo- historically would end up from the Everglades. And it would dissipate and become uh, brackish water when it mixed with the salt water and then mm-hmm. eventually into, you know, a, a, the salinity levels that the ocean would be, which is like uh, 32 parts per thousand. Look, I remembered that. I think, I think that's right. If you guys want to look that <laughs> up. Uh, or, or is it parts per thousand? Yeah, that sounds right. 
Torture thousand. I like. I'm to, wrong. I like to imagine, <laughs> like uh, in your mind, there's a there, like a, there's a listener that's just every word think, that I, you're saying, like, oh, this guy's so full of. But that's shit. the scientist <laughs> part of you. Like, I still, <laughs> yeah. even when I started doing comedy, like I had a friend that had a really, he's still a comic. He had a really funny joke about a lizard uh, hopping on a car. His name's Carl Remy. It's very funny joke about a lizard hopping on a car and um and then it would go away and then he'd have to talk to his wife lizard when he came back you know you jumped on the car again but he would do the thing with the neck you know coming out or the lizard and and then i i remember one time i was like i don't know what kind of species of lizard you're talking about but like i don't think that the female would have the and it was just like yeah and i was like i can't even believe i'm saying this but this is that's like the science that's like that's never gonna go away from me you know where so even when i'm still talking about it now even though i'm not doing that as a career no, I don't ever that... want to be wrong with what I'm saying because I'm like, uh, because I, I used to go to, you know, I used to have to present data to people. I was doing presentations and interagency presentations and I was in different committees and stuff. And I always was, that was my worst nightmare. It's like, I'm going to say something and it's going to be wrong. And everyone's going to be like, yeah, this fucking guy, this, you know? So I still have that fear. That's why I'm saying, I'm not, I don't think that there's probably a listener doing that, but who knows? I'm sure one's going to do it now that I've said it. They're going to look up everything. <laughs> going to be an edit of everything forces where forest was wrong uh yeah i, I like that meanwhile we we did not smoke a whole <laughs> bunch of weed before no. recording this right this is just natural human paranoia <laughs> happening that's i am yeah. I, you know i'm like that with comedy too and i wonder i mean as you say that i'm like oh i wonder if it's i'm that way because i'm scientifically oriented or whatever but but I always, certain way, yeah, when so. I see someone do like a joke yeah. that they're like, hey, why is this this way? Isn't that crazy? And you know the answer and it's like a perfectly reasonable, yeah. logical yeah. answer. Like that just bugs the hell out of me. <laughs> why is that? And a lot of times I'll tell people, I'll be like, the joke's funny, but just yeah. so you know. Yeah. Like this is. Uh, I've stopped it, doing that now though because I, I, I used to do that a lot where I'd be like, Actually, like whenever you start actually, when you that's the sentence when you start a sentence with someone, they should just be able to punch you in the face, like especially with comedy. (laughs) Well, uh, like here's here's a good example. So I have a I didn't it's not a joke that I made or anything, but this is like this could have possibly been joke material where you get a rental car and there's two keys and like two lock system always. Yeah, like you can't take it off of the chain that they use. It's all bound together. And it's like, so it fills up so much space in your pocket. And then if you lose one key, you lose both of them. So that's yeah. double that you have to pay for losing it. And it made no sense to me. So as a comic, I'd be like, hey, what, what is, what's with this, these rental car keys? Always, you know, obviously yeah. that would be a joke that no one re- would relate to. But I asked um, yeah. recently because it was bothering me so much. Um, can you care? I could not guess why this was. But yeah. there is a logical reason. You have any clue whatsoever? This is a fun game. Uh, no. Um, it's because sometimes when the uh, rental cars are sent off like one way, so you rent it in like Minneapolis or whatever, uh, and you're driving uh, down yeah. to Houston, now that car's just going to be down in Houston. Uh, and yeah. so the keys that come with it, when they're going to go to resell it or whatever, have to stay with the car. Or use it again. And yeah, that makes what, sense. So that's like an example of but if I saw a comic doing that bit, I'd be like, oh, no, there is a reason. Yeah, why. Yeah. 
but um, I'm glad you told me that now because I've always wondered that too. Yeah, but yeah. Somebody told me that they always cl- unclip. They take like wire cutters and do un. Because they said they don't care as long as you bring back both keys. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. but oh, I'm sure yeah. it wouldn't. But I've done a lot of one-way rentals before. I mean, as a comic, I'm sure maybe you have. I I've, I've done, I did one from New York City it's to, so to Miami. It's so expensive. Yeah, I had I don't to. understand why it's so expensive to get a car one way. I guess you got to ship it back and everything I, else. You don't have to, though. I don't. I think it's because they can. Do yeah, it. yeah. So they're like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> Fuck this guy. Uh, yeah. So, so anyway, we got off on on um, an awesome, oh. insane tangent. But so that was my job. Basically, was I, most of most of the work I did at Durham was involved, uh, had to do with water quality and monitoring of seagrass communities associated with a lot with the Everglades restoration project. And the other stuff, I, I also did a lot of water quality monitoring of Biscayne Bay, which is the uh, is the the marine. It's the bay basically that borders Miami. If you look at a map of South Florida where Miami Dade County is, you have the mainland, and then there's this bay that comes across mm-hmm. towards where Miami Beach is and the other barrier islands that are south that you can't even drive to, called Elliott Key and Key Biscayne. You can drive to actually too. So that whole bay system that is, I, I want to say it's like. 30 miles long maybe longer should know all this stuff but uh all of the water quality for the for all the all the canal systems and uh natural and man-made that fed the the biscayne bay and then all of these points in biscayne bay we had about 103 stations that we would sample every single month for uh, wide parameters of nutrients and uh, we looked at dissolved oxygen and salinity and pH and we look at uh, if there was heavy metals in certain areas we'd check for bacteria analysis to see um, uh, especially in the freshwater areas because we were checking for you know sewage leaks let's say or something like that uh, we so we were, we're kind of like doing it was it was a, a combination of we were looking to see what human impacts were impacting um, our water uh, uh, our, our freshwater uh, and and marine ecosystems in south florida and we were also looking at you know basing that on like how what we perceive naturally it should be and like what the level should be and we also were looking at seagrass communities and we actually dive down uh we had all sorts of stations in biscayne bay and florida bay and we'd dive down and we would uh throw these grids down uh that were about made out of pvc pipe uh, and they were about i think they were a third of a meter squared mm-hmm. and then we'd also have it, within that third of a meter squared, we'd have um, a piece of string, like twine, running and making it into like four, into a grid of four smaller yeah. squares. And that's how we would me- measure abundance of seagrass in in these communities. And we'd use this method. It was called Bron Blanquet, which was this guy that some French guy that came up with this method. And basically, you would assign a number to the coverage that you would see of a specific species of seagrass. So a five was the most, meaning there was 75% to 100% coverage, and then a four was 50 to 75% on the way down to 0.1, where it was just like 1% coverage. And you'd say, okay, there's this type of seagrass, there's this type of seagrass, there's this type of algae, and this type of algae, and then there's this type of soft coral. And you'd write down the species, and, 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 and you'd write down the percent cover, and we would constantly be doing this monitoring so that we had, you know, this baseline from before when I started all the way as as things progress. And that this wasn't just because of the restoration program. This was just like, hey, 
and I would I will say Durham, as far as an organization, a local organization, is probably way ahead of a lot of other local mm-hmm. organizations. But we we basically have all this data and still still have it and had it um, to basically say, okay, this is the state of health of the areas around Miami Dade County and uh, in, in the marine systems. And was it so the day to day was it was it um, like exciting or enjoyable to yeah, like, be boat. out there all the sure, time yeah. and be diving? I mean, or, here's the thing: because f- some of it seems a little tedious as well. Both. But. It's both. I mean, you, you can't get too jaded because when he first got there, I was like, all right, you're going to be in a boat for the next five days in Florida Bay. And you'd have to hook up the boat and trail it down. You'd have to put all the dive gear and all of the research gear and everything in and out of the boat. And this. But in the end of the day, like there was times where in, when we were in Florida Bay, there's times where we were 12 miles from the closest telephone pole. You know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't see anything. It was just mangroves. And we were in like this little cove that we that we we only had a permit to go in and work in this area, like people couldn't even fish in there. Mm. So you would be, you wouldn't even hear, you'd be in this desolate area and there'd just be some birds flying by occasionally, you'd see a manatee, maybe a dolphin or fish, occasionally there were some sharks, things like that, you know? And you know, you'd be eating lunch, just sitting in the middle of this place. That's and like, awesome. Oh, that's pretty awesome, yeah. <laughs> and then, but you'd also be like, oh crap, we, we have to go to this, this again. It was, that, it was that balance of like, you know, where it gets tedious as well. And there's also, look, it, it does, not get as cold in Miami as it does in Columbus, Ohio. But if it's 48 degrees out, which it would get to in the winter, you don't want to go in the water then, but you still do have to, Mm. you know, we had, we had a threshold where if the water temperature I think was below 17 degrees Celsius, which I think comes out to like the water temperature was like in the high fifties and we wouldn't have to go in. But if it was in the sixties, you'd still have to go in and that sucks. Trust me, because we'd have to get a way a wetsuit works. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if people don't know, listening is it allows water to come into the wetsuit. Yeah. And then that that small layer of water that's in between the 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 wetsuit fabric and um and your body warms up as you're in there. But we would do 16 dives in one day and they'd only be like seven minute dives in four feet of water because it's a very shallow area. But you still have to use scuba because you can't count seagrass like holding your breath because we'd literally have to count. 100 shoots of seagrass, and then we'd have to count all the blades in that, too, which you get really good at. So that's the tedious part, trust <laughs> yeah, me. That's when you're grabbing, like, you're like, all right, here's, counting grass. here's 32 blades of turtle grass, which mm. is thalassium testudinum. Is there, if anyone's looking that up. That's right, I'm pretty sure. Uh, testudinum, yeah. And you'd have, to grab, you'd have to count every shoot and then every single blade of grass within the shoots. So then you'd be like, all right, 32 shoots, 116 blades. And it was a 40, it was a, it was a 78% cover. So here's the number. And we'd have underwater paper and pencils that we'd write everything on. And, and then you go to the next grid and you do four grids at each station. That gets tedious. Yeah. <laughs> but then you in get the better end, at it. But, like, but, like, uh, I, for some reason I'm picturing Scrooge McDuck, except, with counting grass instead of I, <laughs> when instead I first started working corn. there, I would say the first couple months, all I did because we were like short staffed, I would be on the seagrass monitoring program and I would do the water quality monitoring. And I was only on boats out. I was in the field constantly for my first year there. Like I hardly ever was in the office doing any work, um, any of the, the collating of data and, and, you know, and stuff like that. I was just gathering data and, I remember I would start having dreams, like almost Fantasia-like dreams, you know, like when those those rolling hills 
of like color in that movie, but it was like seagrass. Like I literally <laughs> have dreams of counting seagrass and blades of seagrass, and then what? <laughs> it was like, yeah. Um, but in the end, like, oh look, still- man, that, that's. <laughs> but it's. I, I thought I had, um, like silly repetitive. Yeah. Um, boring. <laughs> dreams, however, but- however, there still would be days like where you'd be counting seagrass, and then like a pot of dolphins would swim up to you. Yeah, yeah. You're like. All right, this that was pretty cool. Like that doesn't, right. and and in the end, like pe- you still got to remember, like all right, when you're having your lunchtime, you're just sitting on the bow of a boat, perfectly silent, and the, your the other coworkers with you, and you're just like eating a sandwich and you're just chilling on a boat. Yeah. So you kind of had to take that into. It's kind of like with comedy, when like I f- people people would pay good money, tourists pay good money sure. to take a boat ride. Yeah, yeah, and we got to drive the boats too, and we were scuba di- and, um, you know. It's like with comedy. I remember the first time I flew to do a gig, how excited I was. Like, I'm flying. I know. <laughs> and now you're like, these goddamn airports. I and know. Occasionally, I, know. I will, though, like be looking out an airplane window. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool that I get to do this. You know, like, yeah. you have that moment where you're like, oh, I got to reset myself. There's somebody right now that's sitting in a cubicle that's that's hating it or has to wake up at a certain hour every single day. And you know, right. and that's what I had to do when I was in a biologist. That was I was waking up early and um there was a part of our, our program too, where there was like a beach restoration component where like they, there was a lot of uh, monitoring of coral reefs outside offside on the offshore of Miami. And, um, and, uh, I was, I did some work in that too, but I wasn't heavily involved in that at all. But, uh, and then just to fast forward a little bit. So I did a lot of seagrass. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but water quality monitoring, seagrass monitoring. And then the last five, six years that I was there, I did a lot of work with manatee protection. So I got to, uh, because I showed interest in that, and the person that was in charge of our manatee program for Miami-Dade County kind of put me in a, in a driver's seat for that. So that was really cool because that was, it was a shift and something I got to do different after I'd been there for a long time. And this basically involved any sort of manatee issues in Miami-Dade County I was involved with. Um, now, if, if one of them was killed, they would perform a necropsy on it, which is an autopsy for animals, you call it. So, uh, and, uh, the state would have to do that. The Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission would have to perform the necropsy, but sometimes they would they would usually take them to St. Petersburg, Florida, where they had a whole facility, and they would determine the cause of death, whether it was natural, whether it was a boat strike, whether it was crushed in some sort of lock or levee, whether it was killed unnaturally it was, or was red tide, or, because they want, to, they want to keep track of those figures to basically see how... Are, are, they, are they like, where are they on the endangered? They're endangered still, but... They're 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 on the endangered species list still. People want to move them to the threatened mm. list, which is uh, you know, because they the numbers have shown to have been increasing over the years. However, there's a lot of controversy about that because, and again, I haven't been involved in this in like five six years, so I, I'm just basing this on what I kind of keep up with still. But there's there's a survey done every year to determine the population of manatees. That exists. This is only the Florida manatee because in the United States of America, the only species of manatee that there that here is is, um, is and exists mainly in Florida. When it's warmer, you'll see them as far up up the Gulf Coast as in Louisiana, and they've gone as far north as Chesapeake Bay, which I'm not really supposed to do. That one was named was Chessie, and they had to keep flying it back to Florida because it would just be hanging out like when it was starting to get cold, and they wouldn't. There was one that made it up the Mississippi River to Memphis too. Like made it through some locks and levees and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, but they're mainly in Florida, and so there's a popula- the United the population in the United States that is 
listed as uh, endangered is very closely to the ones that are that that are in the Caribbean. I think there's like a vertebrae that's fused slightly different that makes it a different species, and also the distance that it would have to travel to be with this population of this species. So they're they're indistinguishable to someone just looking at them, and you'd have to cut one open, I think, to figure out that it was a different species, but uh, it's a subspecies, but hmm. endangered. And so when they started doing these surveys, they said, I think they said, oh, there's only 1,800 in this, they're alive here. And then as time went on, it increased up to like where it got around around 3,500. They're like, oh, look, it's doing better because we have all these laws in place where boats have to go slower and they're not running them over now. And uh, they were getting crushed in like all these locks and levees that control salt water and fresh water mm-hmm. being released into the uh, salt water areas. They they were just crushing them because the manatees seek out fresh water. So they'd be swimming through these gates and these, you know, 12 ton gates would come down and just crush them and kill them. Well, that 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 those types of deaths are almost all eliminated because they basically put for all intents and purposes, like what an elevator door system is on it, a much more advanced mm-hmm. version where it, if something's in there, it's not, it'll bounce back up and it won't close until the, that's out of there. Oh, Whether it's okay. a piece of debris or a manatee or something like that. that that's the easiest um, without getting into the whole mm-hmm. system. I was, on, I, don't, I was on a committee that, that worked with basically trying to reduce manatee deaths that were man-made. So that is almost at zero every year now. The majority of the deaths are boat, boat strikes, that are and um because because manatees <laughs> they just hear the sound and they're drawn to it no or? no they just manatees live near the surface of the water mm. they live in shallow let, let me rephrase it they live in shallow water areas they don't live in offshore <clears throat> they live close to the shore where the water is two three feet to eight ten feet and and they live in uh like a lot of the freshwater areas like canals and old rivers and things like that, like historical areas they go up into those and, and they live in these Bay areas where it's the highest area of boat traffic. Cause that's where people go. Cause it's calmer in there. People go, you know, people, whatever sort of water sports they want to do or picnicking or just drinking on a boat. That's where all the boat traffic is concentrated. And there's so many boats in Florida because it's warm all most of the year and you can go out and use them and they have to come up and breathe as well mm. because they're mammals. So they're in shallow water areas to begin with, and they're slow moving, and they can't move out of the way of a boat going 40 miles an hour. So just by chance, because they're in these same areas, they come up to breathe, or they're only in three or four feet of water, and a boat comes by, and the engine hits them. Or even worse, what the, wor- the, the blunt force trauma of a hull of a boat hitting them is what really kills most of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people think, oh, the propeller chopped them up, which can happen and kill them. But most of the time, it's the blunt force trauma because it shatters their bones. Because manatees, unlike us, have very, uh, I don't want to say brittle, but uh, their bo- bones are, they don't have bone marrow. They're solid bones. Mm. So it's basically almost like a piece of rock, their bone. They're not flexible at all. The reason they have that is because in order, to, if you've ever gone scuba diving or snorkeling before, you have wear a weight belt yep. around people to, to help with your buoyancy. That's how they, 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 their buoyancy is controlled by their lungs. And basically, if you wanted to think of their bones, it's kind of like a weight belt. And that's not a really general way to put it. But that's that 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 kind of helps them control like where they're at as far as buoyancy going up and down, staying underwater. But it also makes them susceptible when something if something hits one of our bones, especially when you're younger, it's flexible because of because of the uh, bone marrow and they're not solid. And there's there's 
moisture to them, I guess is a good way of putting it. But with manatees, they'll just kind of shatter. And a lot of times, like a, a rib bone will shatter and puncture their lung because it's right there. And mm-hmm. then they're going to die, you know, or and that. So any 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 way you look at it, if a boat hits you and you're if you're living, it's going to be bad. I don't care if you weigh as much as a manatee or that big. It's just bad. Um, so that was every year i don't know what the numbers are now but every year there's tons of boat strikes of manatees and th- to combat that areas where they live there's these slow speed zones that they made where you say if you're in a boat right here during this time of year when the manatees are you got to go idle speed mm. and people don't like that obviously when you tell them what to do on their own. so there's a there's there's a whole contingency of of and i'm a boater but there's a whole contingency of people that are boaters or different organizations that want to eliminate all these manatees. They say, oh, there's so many manatees now. There used to be only 1,800, and now there's 3,500. Now, I think the last survey said there was 5,000. They're doing great. Like, all these that, all these programs we put in place to, to help save them, they're doing great, so let's delist them the threatened, which I get, like, that's what the goals of, of these things are, but it's it's that weird argument where you're like, they're doing great, so all the protections we put in place, let's get rid of them, so then they're going right. to be like... So there's that whole... There's a, there's a lot of... That's a big political thing that goes on. Now, the problem with the surveys, I will just say, though, is you're looking at animals that are in water that you may or may not see because it's sunny or it's rainy. The, the day that the surveys are done, the statewide surveys are all done on one day or like in, divided into two days. And basically different organizations in each county or area will fly in helicopters or planes. I, I would be a part of this in our county. We get to go in police helicopters and fly around and count manatees, which is pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> like, and um <clears throat> except you are with cops and some cops were cooler than others. So, but uh, some of them care like, yeah, let's go look for manatees. And other ones would be like, motherfucker, we got to do the manatee survey. And I'm like, we're paying you like right. we're paying, like we would pay to do these surveys. But, uh, so it'd be me and like two other biologists would fly around. We do a count, but now it's not that scientific. Like you're basically just flying around to the areas where we flew the whole County, which is a long, it took two days to fly Miami Dade County, all the areas where we know manatees exist. Because way back when, when they came up, they have all these protection plans for each county. The entire, all of the water was flown day after day after day and done these these surveys. And they said, okay, here's where we know manatees live. And here's where we know that they're not going to live. And they might, there might be a random one here. But for the most part, 95% of the time they're going to be in these areas. Hmm. And they made those those zones where there's slow speed certain times a year, all times a year, they, you know, they developed this whole, so we'd fly all those areas and we'd just count them. <laughs> Nothing signed. We would just be like, all right, what do you, we would do a system where I'd be in the front of like, all right, we got some manatees here off the, whatever. This is the, uh, you know, Miami river we'd be in, you know, what do you, and they'd circle around. I was like, what do you see? And then we'd each count them. And then we'd talk about it to the headset and we would come up with an actual number that we, a manatee we thought we saw. However, they're, that's if they're at the surface or if not, the surface, if it's clear, they might be sleeping at the bottom, but it, you might miss some. You might be see a herd of mantis, and there's like eight of them in there, but there might have been 12. Mm-hmm. Or there might have only been six, and you counted them weird or something, or you thought you saw a calf, and you didn't. And it was the best you could do, basically. So there was a lot of error in this survey type of system. So you and just if, count, and then you go, and then times that by 20. And that's well, no, we wouldn't that. do that at all. We wouldn't ever make up numbers for ones we didn't see. You know, and then we would also write down what what they were doing. If they were eating, if they were sleeping, if they were resting. Sometimes, so you would actually count five thousand manatees or whatever or statewide. And in, in Miami Dade County, because we were in the southern end, 
Mm. More of the manatees are concentrated in uh, historical spring areas, like uh, up north of Tampa. A lot of them in the winter. We do it in the winter, too, because they would congregate at power plants. Mm -hmm. You know, the historical areas where manatees, (laughs) (laughs) where where the outfalls of all this warm water would be, because manatees can only, um, this is why I'm jumping all around with, like, fact, but... Manatees need 68 degrees or warmer water. At, that's where they want to be living in. Mm-hmm. They can be in water that's below 68 degrees probably for a couple of days to maybe three or four days until they basically start shutting down systems like where they're not going to eat. And then they'll start dying, you mm-hmm. know, and they can die. And when there's really, really extreme cold fronts that come through, you see a large die-off of manatees. That's a natural thing. That, that mm. that's one of the things we're not doing to manatees that have existed forever. Where they're, the, you know, they are, they're not in an area where it, that it could be warmer. Now that there's a picture on my website that I showed you earlier of me sitting next to a manatee, that from an article that was written about me. That's in um, uh, Three Sisters Springs, which is just north of Tampa, and that's a natural occurring spring that's always at 72 degrees. So when there's a cold front that comes through. You'll see, and this is historical for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, manatees have gone there, and they'll all be congregated in there when it's cold, and they know to go there, you know. Mm-hmm. But with the with us making these power plants, and there's and there's outfalls, that's warm water coming out from all the, uh, from the power plants. Now, in the, that's a new congregation area. And that's great if those power plants are still working, but if, as they shut down and more efficient ones open and they change and things like that, that's part of the thing where we're kind of altering, you know, hmm. that biological. But anyways, to get back to the survey. That's interesting. It's interesting to think of then, then once, once uh, it's happening. A, a species becomes dependent on, yeah. uh, on human intervention. There's a power plant that closed maybe uh, or was hmm. going to close, I think, on the West Coast. And there was like hundreds of them would congregate there in the winter. And they're like, oh, well, hope. I hope they know where to go now. So and some, some of the ideas. <laughs> What's like, the lifespan of a manatee? Oh, uh, um, great. Uh, I would I think it's uh, see, I'm, I don't know that this one someone can look up for sure. But yeah. I I want to say that uh, generally in the wild, I think a manatee probably I think it lives like 30 or four. I'm going to I'm going to mess this up because I know there's something that been in captivity for like 40 years or something like that. But um Let's say they're born, they're sexually mature, like around seven years. I would say maybe like 30 years, 25, 30 years. Hmm. What does it say? Um, Are you looking it up? Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, <clears throat> that was my guess based on the, the data that I can't remember in my head. Yeah, it looks like it looks like you were about right. All um, right. I can't find exactly what it's saying here. So 40 years? Lifespan in the wild, 40 okay, years. Okay, that's good. Yeah, 40. Like. Yeah, yeah. Um, Believe they can live six years or more. Yeah. I mean, it's, hmm. you know, it's like any animal. They can I have a cat that's going to live forever right now. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's just interesting that. <laughs> yeah, 40 years sounds, sounds, seems better. That seems like a better number, actually, in my head, because seven years sexual maturity. And the, yeah, I think 40 years. But that's. You're going fine that, for like 30 years. And then that's if a just boat like doesn't a hit you. Snap. Or if there's a cold snap, yeah. red tide kills a lot of them. What's there's, that? Um, red tide is caused, and it's it's a naturally occurring phenomenon where there uh, is basically a, a, it's caused by the, it, this this whole weird condition where when winds are blowing 
uh, I think it comes from like the Sahara Desert. There's like a certain iron that gets blown into this wind current and travels in, in to Florida. And then there, it's basically, it's, it's, an, it's an algal bloom. Mm. And it's called red tide. And it turn, the water turns reddish when it's happening. Um, and it causes respiratory issues. Uh, so like if you, if a human went in the water when a red tide was going on, you could, if you could, I don't know if there's been any deaths from red tide, but there's been severe, if you were older, if you were an elderly person, you had respiratory issues, you could die if you went in the water and it was like, there was this red tide bloom and, uh, now, and it affects like shellfish and, uh, too can be affected by, it, and then you could eat it. And then, they, um, but manatees, they breathe near the surface hmm. and they, and like I said, they're in the shallow area. So when there's these red tide blooms, they'll end up dying. Like there'll be huge dials, like hundreds of manatees will die. That's a natural occurring thing as well. Red tide, cold, that's natural ways manatees die mm-hmm. and age. But and then the ways that that we get on boats, like I said before, they used to get crushed and like locks and levees, that's that's pretty much gone down to zero. And um, you know, sometimes people poach them and try to there's people in you know Central America, I mean in, in the Caribbean and in Central America and Central and South America that moved to South Florida and there's been some minor instances of them poaching them, like killing them for food. Like where you've seen them butchered and like precisely like where to get the meat and stuff like that. Mm. That's very rare. Um, but, Oh, and they also get stuck in things like, uh, pipes, culverts that we've created where it falls for like storm sewers and storm drains and stuff like that. Uh, if they're not graded, which they're supposed to be now, but you know, we were building stuff in the twenties and before that we did just have these pipes that they'll just swim up into and they're not good at going in reverse and they get stuck in there and they drown and they die. Hmm. It's a fun way to die. <laughs> um, that happened. That used to happen a lot at the Miami Dade County airport and they had, they put a whole gating grading system in because they used to go underneath the runways into the, to the culverts and drain systems. And then we just end up drowning and they found all these manatee bones in there so man amenities don't look like they have such a tough like you look at them yeah. and they look like this very peaceful thing and that's like i hear you talk about it i'm like how do these things still exist oh no let me tell you i, I want to tell you right now manatees are not smart let's just start with it like their <laughs> brains what's it okay. like swimming with these things because i'm looking here it says an adult is 880 to 1,200 pounds. And some can be even be bigger than that. I've seen ones bigger than well. that. And you got this dumb thing that doesn't know. Super what's gentle. Going on. They're super gentle. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, if a manatee, I mean, I've seen with, I swear, I've been in the water before and they've come up with their calves, their, their babies. And they've huh. still been like, not like you know, a lot of times animals are like, I mean, they're going to protect their calf. But they're they're generally curious hmm. and gentle. Now, if you scared one, like there was one time where we were floating on a boat. I didn't even we were in this lake and we were taking sediment samples from the bottom of this lake, and we drifted over like a, a little a herd of manatees that we didn't even know was we didn't even know they were there. We were in this little aluminum skiff, like twelve feet long. Ways I could pick it up with another person. And we were again, and I guess we floated over and didn't even know. And they just, just these two tails came up and and like almost hit our, almost flipped our boat. And like we scared the shit out of them. They they scared us, and they could have like flipped our boat. And they wouldn't they wouldn't have hurt us after that. They wouldn't have come right. back and because they they really just they, you know they eat plants. They right. have like these giant prehensile lips that like kind of look like you know they they're used to grab stuff and they bring them into you know basically molars. They're not they have no interest in eating you or biting you. 
Um, but we've the only time I've ever heard of people being injured by manatees is uh, sometimes there would be one that would be tagged that would be, you know, was injured and they would say, okay, we're going to put a transmitter on this and we're going to follow it and see what's going on. And we also want to occasionally get it back and do a physical on it to make sure it's eating well and it's, it's readjusting to life in the wild. So they would get, they have this specialized boat and I would sometimes go with them and help at the ones in South Florida. I'd help them in Miami and you'd capture the manatee with a net basically because you have, we'd have the transmitter so we knew what it was. It was this flat boat that you'd pull up and then it'd be like 10 of us that pull this. You know, those ones are probably about like 700, 800 pound manatees on the boat. And then you'd weigh them. They had this like scale that they weigh them. You take some fatty tissue, you do some basic physical, you know, veterinarians would do it. And, uh, and then you'd release it. But there was one time we were out and like they'd always say, stay away from the tail because we're like holding it down and it's strong. And it's a big animal. I mean, it's slow, but it's, it's a giant animal. It's very strong. And this guy got hit with a tail one time and broke some ribs. It didn't mean to do it. It was just like, I don't want to be on this boat in this net. Yeah, like, yeah. like, I know you guys helped me before, but I still don't want to be with you. you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, so getting back to, uh, oh, oh, I'll just, when I said they're dumb, I want to clarify what I was saying. Okay. So they're, I don't mean like, you know, obviously they, they don't only need to know a certain amount of things. They don't really have any true natural predators because people might say a shark or this or that like sharks don't they're in shallower waters so they're not like with these giant pelagic sharks that like a great white that would come and you know and the sharks that would be near them are like they're bigger than sharks not gonna like say what you want about a shark but it like sharks not gonna just come up and chomp on something that's twice its size it's like hey, i'm just gonna kind of right. then they have calves that they protect obviously you know but um they have very smooth brains and if i don't know if what, what you know about like brains they they one of the indicators of intelligence is how many folds, you know, you look at yeah, the brain. Yeah, basic, basically yeah. Our, our brains are, are packed yeah. in our head in such a way that, that yeah. the, the folds make it so that there's more surface area of sure. the brain that's exactly. able to um, be used for your neural networks. Yeah. To, um, this table is, like, closer to a man, this smooth table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, and they don't need to do, I mean, they just need to be like, all right, we need, I need to eat something sometime today. And yeah. uh, I need to get some fresh water at some point, and then I just kind of need to sleep rest of the day. That's it, like really. That, and they do a lot of sleeping. I feel like from from seeing them in aquariums that they're just pooping nonstop, a lot of shitting and farting. Like. Yeah. It's like a it's like a weird, gross belly button. Just yeah, yeah, constantly. Yeah, they're very simple animals. <laughs> so that's why it's funny. Like I used to go to these. I used to sit at a boat show and I would hand out like brochures, like "Hey, manatee," like. Be, make sure you know about manatee zones. If you have any questions, come ask us whenever and we had this. And most people would be cool, but then you'd have these people that feel like the, the, the laws that are in place because they're endangered are too strict and we need to get rid of manatees. And they'd come over drunk at these boat shows and start yelling at you and stuff. And they'd be like, <laughs> well, man, if they can't figure out how to get out of the way of a boat, then they're too dumb to do that. I'm like, well, boats have been around, speed boats have been around. What eighty years? Oh, and then you're sitting talking. there yeah, trying yeah. to explain evolution yeah. to yeah, yeah. to this. Well, you know they're not from here. Well, they are water. because there's fossil records dating back, you know, five million years. Now they're brought here to eat weeds, <laughs> control weeds. No, they weren't. But it's just like, I, why, I, why am I? Can you just move on? Go look at the go look at the new outboards, the new Mercury's go over there. And I had this one time these guys came by and they knocked. I had all these brochures on the table there and. Um, we were in the educational part of the brochure, and the guy came over and knocked all the brochures off. They're drunk <laughs> as fuck, right? 
come over because you could drink at these things. Yeah. Knock them off. And then this guy had a fake shotgun. Like, you know, air shotgun, like you'd air guitar. Yeah. And he, because we have these pictures of manatees, man. He's like, and he's pretending to shoot. And he's like, I shoot manatees in the face once, and I shoot manatees in the face twice, make sure they're dead. And it was just like, I was like, all right, uh, thanks. And I'm the booth next to us is the, um, it was like marine cops, basically, like the, you know, ranger type, right. type like, you know, environmental cop. Yeah, I didn't do anything. And then I'm like picking up the brochures, and I, I go, hey, uh, thanks for coming over, buddy. And he goes, well, you know, uh, you know, uh, he, they are they are correct that they are not from here. They were brought here. I'm like, you really are in charge of writing <laughs> tickets for. Uh, I was like, funny. I, and I want to also say that does not represent all the people that are that work in the environmental department as far as like enforcement, because most of them know that this guy was just a dipshit. That was so if, if people are interested, what's uh, what's the charity of the week? Mm. What do we plug in? You know, what we should just do because we're talking about manatees. I, I only get one. Yeah, you can have two. Because I was gonna say two different things. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, do two different ones. Um, and I didn't get to the end. Of the, I didn't. I didn't get to the end of the manatee survey thing. But the, the the point I wanted to make real quick with that is, yeah. is because our surveys, they've been trying to find a more scientific and actual way to get the, a more accurate population number. And in doing so, it's kind of made the population look like it's all over the place. It gets higher and lower, and so, that might be affecting legislation. Just saying. Um, I would say two things: the National Resource Defense Council. Which is who they wrote an article on me in their On Earth magazine, and they're if you don't know who they are, they're basically you know it's basically lawyers to help defend environmental issues because that's really where stuff gets done, mm-hmm. and without without people that are you know helping to get things done legally, then nothing ever. I mean, you can protest all you want, but that's that's where a lot of the I think they do very good work, and I think that if you would like to give money and you feel if you want to feel like your money is going towards. Uh, environmental conservation preservation issues and is being used in a manner that's going to be productive. I think they're a very good organization to give money to They're nonprofit. And then uh, if you really like manatees, uh, save the manatee. They're, they're legit. They're not, uh, they're not like taking the money and then, you know, going on cruises. Save the manatee is a, is a longstanding organization that works to help protect manatees, uh, in the, in the United States. And, um, they're out of Orlando, Florida. I think they're in Orla- based in Orlando, Florida. Where there's no manatees, which is weird. <laughs> They're like in Maitland, Florida, which I think it's like landlocked. There's lakes and stuff. Yeah. I always thought it should be like where, you know. <laughs> but they're a very good organization, too. And uh, I even, if, speaking of comics, like Jim Gaffigan used to have all those jokes about manatees, mm-hmm. I remember. And like, he, I think he has links to, like, he, all he has, like, manatee. I'm a manatee in the mug and stuff. And I think all that money goes to save the manatee. Oh, really? And stuff. Yeah, he's, oh, he's, given, he's helped them get money. But those are two good organizations, I would say. Awesome. And and so you became a full-time comic. It, it, what what made you decide to get out of marine biology? Just comedy was just <clears> going <throat> better for you and you needed I started flexibility? To, yeah, I started to figure out I could make money doing comedy. Not a lot. Not nearly as much because I would worked in biology a lot. I got promoted, like I said, to mm. being a supervisor of a bunch of biologists. But in doing so, I got really fat and was sitting in a cubicle and I was doing uh, grant proposal you know, work and I was getting, I was getting grant money and writing reports and going to meetings and I wasn't on a boat anymore. I wasn't scuba diving. I wasn't in the field unless I kind of cleverly scheduled myself like, Hey, I got to go out in the boat today and check on something. So I, I still enjoyed my job, but it didn't have that same, you know, when I was like, I'm going to be a biologist, I'm going to be out in the field and working. I wasn't doing that. So I came to this realization like, you know what? Let's just try and do this comedy thing full time. Cause I'm kind of unhappy where I'm at right now. And this, this isn't why, 
that, and that's that's like any job. Once you start moving up, you don't do any of the cool stuff that you envisioned you were doing anymore. So I just started. Let's let's two years from now, I'm gonna or a year from now, whatever it was, I'm gonna tell them because so, I didn't want it's not the job where I could give them two weeks notice, right? Because I was really invested in the job and I really enjoyed what I was doing and I thought like what I was doing was helping, you know, in Miami Dade County and I didn't and I I was so entrenched there I didn't want to just be like I'm gone in two weeks, you know. So it was like. I think it was like a year or like six months notice or something like that they gave him. And I started just becoming a full-time comic. I was on the road a lot. And then I was like, let's get off the road. And then I moved to LA. I was still on the road, but you know, everyone moves out here so they can be on the road less kind of type. Thing. And where can uh, people find you? What's your Twitter? And Twitter um... is at Forrest Shaw with two R's F O R R E S T S H A W. And, um, my website is forestshaw.net. And, uh, Forrest Shaw on Instagram. Forrest Shaw. That's, that's it. That's it for everything. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Forrest. For yeah, thanks for having me on. It was coming by. I I I, I sort of remembered stuff semi. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. I was all Th- over the place. I was like, Th- and then another thing. That, thirty yeah. parts per thousand. Thirty. Uh, I think it's thirty-two and a half parts per thousand is what saltwater <laughs> is. At least in in Biscayne Bay, that's what the saltwater levels are. Supposed to be. Somebody looked at it. It's a good memory. Yeah. Thirty-two uh, and a half, yeah, thirty-five, right. somewhere like that. Well, thanks, and everyone, uh, go go and check out Forest Comedy now, and I'll see you guys next week. Thank you, hey everybody. Thanks for listening. I am super excited for next week's guest. I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited that I was able to land this guest. It took me about nine months of writing emails to do it. Exceptionally busy guy. Um, so you may have heard me talk about meditation on the podcast before you may have heard me mention an app called get some headspace i got the founder of get some headspace andy puttycomb is coming on and uh, we're going to talk about um just kind of uh the basics of of meditation especially if you've never once meditated before or maybe you've tried it once or twice um this is definitely uh, the podcast for you. Um, we go over some really important stuff, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I, I feel like his app has changed my life, and I'm incredibly grateful that he gave me the time to interview him. And he's just a, a cool, the coolest um, guy, and uh, and he has the voice of an angel. That doesn't hurt either. But so, if you haven't heard of uh, Get Some Headspace, you can go to Headspace dot com and check it out there's a there's a free 10-day trial you never have to sign up for anything you can keep on doing like the 10-day some people just keep on doing the the free 10 guided meditations over and over again for years um but i recommend giving giving it a shot and uh if you haven't checked it out you know if you're listening to this on monday or whatever and waiting for next week's episode why don't you uh, download? You can you can get seven days in, and you'll have a, a better idea of of what meditation is and and what the experience is like, and it will make next week's interview that much more interesting for you. I'm just so excited about about it. So um, make sure and tune in next week. And thank you guys so much for listening. Keep all the iTunes uh, reviews coming, and and remember to subscribe and. Share and tell everyone you know and all that good stuff. You guys are awesome. Thanks.
I am Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly-collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would, he even, why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine <laughs> as he approaches the red rope of the VIP pronounced ve-a-pe in Spanish <laughs> oh my God. he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film smooth skin <laughs> Scarface yells out his signature line <laughs> ciao bella it's me Scarface <laughs> oh my god 